I ask you to take your Bible and turn with me to that familiar book that we've been working through for the last several weeks, and that's Acts 15. Acts 15. As you're turning there, I was thinking of an event that took place during my sophomore year when I attended Marshfield High School. At the close of the school day, I'd walked out like every other day to where all the buses would gather. And and as I walked out, I saw that there was something unusual taking place. The students were gathered in this large circle, about four or five deep. And as I weaved my way through the crowd, I understood why they had gathered. There was a bare-knuckle brawl taking place there. There was a guy from my class named Diego... And there was another big burly guy who was a farm boy who was a junior. And this schoolyard fight had everything you would want. It had blood, it had torn clothes, it had matted hair and red knuckles. I mean, it was a really a good one. And not only did I look at the, the rage in these two guys' eyes, but I could not help but scan the, the faces of all the students who were on the other side. And you know what I saw in their face? Glee, delight, fun. This was a free entertainment fight, right? What I remember most about that fight was not these two big guys fighting, but there was this monitor, this chaperone. I think her name was Mary, a petite older lady. And when she observed that these two guys were fighting, she burst through that circle in an unflinching way, grabbed these two burly bears and dragged them to the office. I mean, any one of these guys could have broke her in half. But there was respect for her and for her position. And she did all of this by offering a scolding glance at all of us, as if to say, we knew better than allowing this to happen. There is something within the human heart that delights in seeing a good fight. Am I wrong about that? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, well, some say I am wrong, but why is, why is there boxing? Why is there MMA? And I would say that that doesn't necessarily go away, even in church life. On a normal business meeting, we might have less than 10 people. But have a little controversy in the air. Put a little blood in the water. And suddenly you will have a great attendance in the business meeting. Well, in our passage of Scripture today, we have what I'm going to call a good church fight. Now, when I say good church fight, I'm not speaking of a war war of knuckles, but a war of words, a war over theology. When I say a good fight, I would say that this is actually a fight worth having because the church at this point is at a critical juncture. The gospel message has gone out as Paul and Barnabas have been scattered throughout on the first missionary journey and many people have now become followers of Jesus. But what can happen as false teachers then creep in and confuse the clear message of the gospel? This spring, our family laid out seven different mounds because there's seven of us in our family, and we each planted some pumpkin seeds. And while those pumpkin plants are becoming 
coming up, those weren't the only things that came up. Weeds have come up as well, right? And so as we work through Acts chapter 15, we're going to cover in our outline what is called the argument, the witnesses, the finding, and the outcome. So let's, let's get into our passage right now, beginning in Acts chapter 15 in verse 1. There's been so many wonderful things taking place in this missionary effort. However, when we see in verse 1, things begin to change. Acts 15.1 But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So there is a new teaching that is being inserted in these churches. That you're not saved by faith alone, but you are saved by faith and being circumcised. And you can understand why this would cause a great uproar. If you were a grown man and, and suddenly some false teachers come in the church and say, yes, you're a follower of Christ, but now you need to be circumcised, you could see why there'd be some pushback and some opposition to that. Verse 2 says, And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So the argument begins around in Antioch, but there's a controversy that's going to result in what I'll just call a church business meeting, and that business meeting is going to happen up in Jerusalem. So we read here in verse 3, So being sent on their way by the church, They passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. Hey, if you're on your way, if you're traveling and you're Paul and Barnabas and you're on your way to Jerusalem, your minds will talk about the grace of God, your minds will speak about the works of God, and that's what they do, bringing a wave of encouragement every place they go. Verse 4. When they came to Jerusalem... They were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and all, and they declared all that God had done with them. So there in the church, you have apostles, you have elders. We'll find out that James is a pastor of this church, and they have all gathered. Verse 5 says, But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So here's the argument. How are we made right with God? This is the basis of the contention of this fight. How am I saved from my sins? Now there are two different options that are presented here. Option number one is, we are saved by faith in Jesus and getting circumcised and obeying the law of Moses. Yes, you're saved by faith, but not by faith alone. You're saved by circumcision and obeying the law of Moses. This is the argument that we see presented in verse 5 by the Pharisees. It's as if to say this, one must become a Jew before they can become a Christian. Just a few nights ago, our family was sitting down and we were watching an old movie that had Jimmy Stewart in it, my favorite actor, past or present. 
And as we were watching this, probably about a two-hour-long movie, my wife and I and the three oldest were watching it, and then the two youngest came down with about 15 or 20 minutes to go. They had missed about 75% of the movie. And they watched it, and at the end, I think they concluded, you know, I like this movie. And the rest of us could have said, what do you mean you liked it? You, you missed the entire context of the last 15, 20 minutes. You had no idea the tension that was building throughout this movie. You can't just come in on the end and say, I liked it. In a way, that's what was taking place in the early church. The Jews were saying to the Gentiles, Gentiles, you don't understand who this Jesus is. You don't understand the Old Testament scriptures and all the background that went up to Jesus dying on the cross. You can't just come in and say, please forgive my sins. You can't just say, I want to be a part of the church. You have to understand all of the Old Testament. You need to understand Abraham and Moses and circumcision and obeying the law. By the way, this is an argument that still exists in strong form today. In fact, Highland Crest is among a minority with the churches within Green Bay and Brown County that would say that we are saved by grace through faith alone. The majority of churches within our area would say, yes, you are saved by faith and baptism and the Lord's Supper and other works. But the message that we see, the message that is being fought for in Acts chapter 15 is the second option, that we are saved by grace through faith alone. And this is what we are going to see the basis of the fight here in Acts chapter 15. That's why I've called it a good fight. Now, every argument is going to have witnesses, right? So the witnesses, let's look at those. Who presented their case? In verse 5, we see that the Pharisees, these are well-meaning people. These are people that are sincere in their belief that we are saved by faith and circumcision and obeying the law of Moses. But you can be sincere and wrong, can you not? When we were in Senegal in March, uh, Jim and I, uh, we, on a Sunday, we were in a house church. There was a pastor, his wife, two young ladies from a village, then Jim, I, and our missionary named Moses. And there I had the privilege of presenting a short little message from the parable of the sowers, uh, encouraging us to go out and share the gospel, and also saying this is evidence that you are a follower of Jesus, that you go out and share the gospel. And in God's mercy and grace that day, he was working on one of these village girls. And I could see that the pastor and the pastor's wife urging her to place her faith in Christ. Of course, they were speaking in a language that I didn't understand. And at one point, Moses, the missionary, spoke up. And it was a word, even the tone I could understand was a tone of correction. And he would later describe that, that the pastor and the pastor's wife were urging this village girl, yes, to put their faith in Christ, but also to get baptized immediately because that was what was required of her to get right with God. And Moses was saying, no, it is by faith alone. After that, you get saved, then you get baptized. So this still happens today. There were the Pharisees, 
But then there's another witness by the name of Peter. Let's look at him here in chapter 15, verse 6, where it says, The apostles and elders were gathered together to consider this matter. Verse 7, And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Peter is indicating this wasn't my decision. In Acts chapter 10, when the door is made wide open to the Gentiles, God had initiated that. Verse 8, And God, by, and God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by what? By faith. Verse 20. Now therefore, while you are putting God to the test, by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples, that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. He is saying to the Pharisees, why are you requiring the Gentiles to get circumcised and obey the law when you yourselves can't obey the law? Verse 11. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. We are saved by grace. So the first witness here is Peter. But now let us consider two other witnesses, that is Barnabas and Paul. Look with me at verse 12. And all the assembly fell silent. I think I just pause here. Whenever you're having a conversation and there's some differences of opinion, the thought of silence is really helpful and not interrupting one another. So there was a silence that fell over and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And now I need to come clean a bit because in chapter 13, as we were working through that, I said that from that point forward, we'll always see it in this order, Paul and Barnabas. And I was mistaken. Here's a place where Barnabas comes first before Paul. Now, now why would that take place? It could be because Barnabas was more closely connected to the Christians there in the Jerusalem church. But they now present their case. And if anyone could provide a persuasive argument to the Pharisees of why we are saved by faith alone, it would have been a former Pharisee himself, right? the great Paul, the apostle. And so he weighs in on the work of God there in Antioch and all those other churches. And so there are the witnesses, the Pharisees, Paul, Barnabas, and Peter. So what was the finding? What was the conclusion of this business meeting? Well, we see here in verse 13. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, Listen to me. Now, who is James? It's not James and John, one of the sons of thunder, because remember, he was killed in chapter 12. This is the half-brother of Jesus. This is the one who wrote the epistle of James. He is the pastor of the church there in Jerusalem. They had elders, and they also had a lead elder, a pastor named James. He says, brothers, listen to me. Verse 14, Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take them from a people for his name. Now, who is he referring to when he says Simeon? Peter, right? 
His Jewish name was Simon or Simeon. So he is, he is relating to them saying, hey, this is one of your own, a Jew, Simeon. And every pastor you would expect in a meeting like this to quote from scripture to make a decision, and he does in verses 15 and following. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. Now he's quoting from Amos chapter 9. After this I will return, and I will build the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. The pastor of the Jerusalem church, James, is saying there was a prophecy by Amos that said that there would become a time where the Gentiles would be called by God's name. And he is saying now that that time has come. Then it says here in verse 22, then it seemed good to the apostles and to the elders with the whole church. Pardon me, let me back up to verse 19. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. In other words, we're not going to saddle them with circumcision. We're not going to require of them to obey the law of Moses. But here's what they should do, verse 20. But they should, we should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. So let me just break that down for you. The pastor has said, when it comes to this gospel message, it is by faith alone. Having said that, because the Gentiles are coming in in the final 15, 20 minutes of this story, it would be helpful for them to be sensitive to the Jews that have been a part of this movie for the whole duration. And there's a few things that these Gentiles can do that they might not understand and might not even agree with, but they can do so by showing love and unity within the church. And so we see here in these verses, the first thing is, is is objects that have been given over to idolatry. So imagine meat. There there was meat back then that would have been offered up to a pagan god. And that same meat might have been wrapped up and put in a bargain bin at the meat market. And so a, a Christian, a Gentile could come in and say, well, I could buy steak at full price or I could buy steak at a reduced price because it had been offered to a pagan god. It's just meat. So I'll go ahead and I'll get the, the bargain price. But for a Jew who has been able to view the whole movie and see how much God detests idolatry, they would have nothing even to do with that thought. And so the pastor, James, is saying, guys, if you want unity, inconvenience yourself and be willing just to pay full price for that meat. There's a second requirement that James is going to say, if you want to be wise and you want to have unity in the church, to the Gentiles, he says, abstain from sexual immorality. The word is pornonia. It's just that word that speaks about relations outside of marriage. Now, there's at least two different ways that this could be applied. One, the Gentiles may have such a sensual lifestyle that they're not even sure what they are doing 
that, that James is saying, you guys got to be really careful that now that you're a Christian, you really got to strive for purity. I'm not sure that that's the case here. I think it's more likely that these Gentiles have come from some pagan worship that was often associated with some sensual practices. So I think James is saying to them, as you come out of that worship, you want to strive for purity and just leave that in your past. And then you'll see a third application of James is going to say, if, if you want, yes, you are saved by faith alone, but if you want to, to have unity within the brotherhood, then don't eat anything that has blood on it. You go to your steakhouse, and you might like a big, thick, juicy cut of steak. And you might like it just barely cooked, that when you bite into it, when you cut into it, blood comes out. But what he is saying to them is, if you, if you want unity, just know that your Jewish friends that have observed the whole movie have, have heard God say to them, don't, don't eat stuff with blood. So be inconvenienced for the sake of love, for the sake of unity. So what was the finding? Well, we are made right with God by grace through faith alone. But the pastor would also say to them, it would be wise for Gentiles to be sensitive to Jewish beliefs, even if they don't understand them. And this leads to the outcome. Let's look at the next part of our passage, verse 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barasbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers. With the following letter, the brothers, both apostles and elders, to the brothers of all the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Sicilia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions. In other words, we understand that these Pharisees have come to you and tried to confuse the gospel, but they they did not come from us. Verse 25, And it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and to send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Men whom we have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit to lay to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. That you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these things, you will do well. Farewell. So we are saved by faith alone. It would be wise for you to be sensitive and not participate in some of these things that would cause your Jewish brothers to stumble. What was the response of that letter? Look with me at verse 30. So then when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And how did they receive it? Verse 31. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. Will you see in verses 31 and 32 the value of words, whether written or spoken? In one case, when they read the letter, they were encouraged. 
In another case, when they heard these words, they were encouraged and strengthened. We see the power of of the words spoken into people's lives. And then we read here next, verse 33. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And in the first 35 verses of Acts 15, you have tension, you have resolution, and you have unity. I mean, this, this drives us to worship, and we want to say to ourselves, this is how it's supposed to be in the church. They ought to make a movie of these first 35 verses. We need to get back to this. And I would agree with everything that I just said. But unfortunately, Acts 15 does not conclude like that. Let's just finish this off. Verse 36 says, And after some days Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. That makes sense. They had went out on this first missionary journey. They planted these four churches. Now they want to go back and encourage them. Verse 37. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn for them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Do you remember that two weeks ago? When Paul and Barnabas went to Cyprus, they took John Mark with them. This was a tropical island, and everyone would want to go on that sort of a mission trip. But when the going got tough, and there was only one convert, and there was a whole bunch of satanic attack, John Mark went back to his mom. And the word here that is used for the word withdraw, is an, it could be translated revolt or desert. And this is what John Mark did. And Paul said, I need guys that are going to be committed. This guy has not proven himself. I'm not going to take him with. And so there is a conflict with, with me at verse 39. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. It's as if here you have this wonderful work of God, bringing unity, bind us together, Lord. And that's what they are singing. And by the time they leave the business meeting and they're going out to their vehicles, you have two prominent leaders getting in another argument with one another. That's a New Testament church. <laughs> I mean, is, is there not some of that that we, that we still see today? There are times that I wish the Bible were not so honest and so earthy, but I'm grateful that it is. So now let us consider some takeaways from this passage. We've read all of this together, and I've got three for you that I don't have to go on a fishing expedition for. I think they are very, very clear. The first takeaway is this, we are saved, we are made right with God by faith alone. Throughout the history of the church, there will be several different councils that will gather together. I think there are at least seven of them. And they will, they will define who is Jesus, what is the nature of Jesus. 
And they'll work through that, the, the Nicene Creed we will have. But none of those councils, none of the business meetings will, will be nearly as important as Acts chapter 15, where they etch in stone once and for all, for all eternity, that we are saved by faith alone. You might be here this morning and say, how is it that I could be made right with God? Baptism, the Lord's Supper, your good works do not save you. That's what the whole fight was about here in Acts 15, to preserve that for us today, to be able to say, you are saved by grace through faith alone. Now that will result in a changed life. You'll have a desire to read the Bible. You'll have a desire to gather with one another. you have a desire to share the gospel with others. You'll have a desire to obey God and not sin, but you are saved by grace. The second takeaway is this. We do not have to understand or agree with one another in order to love them and experience unity. I don't know if you understood that, but let me say it again. We do not have to understand or agree with another person in order to love them and experience unity. I think that is right here in the passage where the pastor of Jerusalem, James, is saying to the people, Gentiles, you might not have have taken in the whole movie here, but I'm just telling you the Jews have, and for them, circumcision and or um, pardon me, and for them, uh, meat that has been offered to idols and, and meat with blood in it, all of that is really important to them. So you might not agree with it, you might not understand it, but you can still love them, and you can still be inconvenienced for the sake of unity for them. And I think that's what we see here in this passage. And if you lift this principle up, I think it is a principle that we need to hear today. There is there's so much polarization that is taking place in our society today. There is this side over here, and there is this side over here, and there is this interpreting of motives and interpreting of their viewpoints. Whew, will you allow me to meddle a little bit this morning? Can I tell you uh, something that we all probably know that is so sinister, it is so evil, it is so divisive that it is splitting our country, it is splitting our state, it is splitting churches, and even to some degree, Highland Crest. Do you know what that, that, that thing is? I actually have one here in my pocket. It's this little thing right here. On any normal Sunday morning, this is my view, okay? It's not unusual to have someone come in that that loves the Lord and would say something like, you know, this whole thing I don't agree with. This whole thing is political. And I get it because... Two political parties do seem to see this differently. You see a presidential candidate, like our president, he doesn't always wear a mask, and and there's a lot of gatherings where they're not wearing masks. But then Joe Biden of the other presidential party, he he seems, or the other political party, seems to always have a, a mask on. So I actually, I get it. But there are others that would say on a Sunday morning, all we really need to do is just trust God in this. 
And could anyone disagree with that? And there are others, and I haven't heard this on a Sunday morning, but if you are in conversation with this, there would be those that would say, this is really all the work of Bill Gates. There are others that would say, this is all about the the, the cell phone towers, right? Now that is one side, and I hear that in this ear on a Sunday morning. But as a pastor, I have another ear that I hear about on the days that follow. And it's from people that are not with us physically, by and large. It's people that are viewing online. And these two are people that love the Lord and that trust the Lord. And these are people that have just chosen to stay home. Maybe they have a doctor that says, you know, you have a pre-existing condition or your child has a pre-existing condition. And I'm just telling you, based on my experience, on my life pursuit of taking care of human beings, I do not believe it would be wise for you to go out in public without wearing a mask. And the devil would love to divide our church over this. And they could be looking online right now, and they could be looking at so many of you that are not wearing a mask. And this is what the devil will do. If they were really concerned about me, if they really cared about me, they would look like this. Can that happen? Is that happening? It can. Now, I'm not suggesting that we're on the verge of a split or anything. So I had someone come to me after the, the first service and, oh, I'm just burdened for our church. I can't believe this is happening. And then I made me think, wow, I don't think I preached that very accurately <laughs> because that's not the point. But I think this can surface from this passage, don't you? Where you see there are brothers in the Lord, sisters, that don't necessarily agree on meat, don't necessarily agree on blood. But we see a group that the pastor is saying, would you be willing to be inconvenienced for unity? Now, I don't, I'm not coming to you this morning, and I don't think it would be wise for me to, to come and say, I'm going to mandate everyone to wear masks. Because I actually think that that would, that would actually cause a revolt in some people's hearts. And I'm not coming to you today as an angry dad that, that is just tired of hearing kids complaining. And now I'm going to settle this while you're all here. And I fully acknowledge that we haven't really made this a big deal. And so it's not my intention to ambush you today. Because we've, we've really wanted people to have personal freedom to make decisions what you would like to do. But I would tell you this. I've asked myself this question. If by wearing a mask, that would allow just one person next week to feel comfortable in returning to church. Would I wear it? If by wearing a mask, I could go over to see someone that that really believes that wearing a mask is important because their doctor has, and it allows me to talk to them, better yet to pray with them, would I do it? I know where I've answered. I would say yes. So I don't come today saying, we're going to lay a new law down upon the members of Highland Crest. Beginning next week, everyone, we're mandating wearing a mask. Rather, I would give you a more important law, and that is the law of love that the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, James wrote about in James chapter 2, he called it the royal law, where he said to love your neighbor as yourself. And I would just ask you to think through that. What would it look like to love your neighbor as yourself as it comes to this little flimsy thing? Would you be willing to be inconvenienced for an hour, hour and ten minutes if it meant 
that others would feel comfortable. Now, there are some that have a doctor's excuse. I, I completely get it. But I actually think that that's an application for our passage today. We can love one another even if we disagree over these things. And I'm just, I'm just calling us to love one another, whatever that looks like for you. I'll give you a third takeaway from this passage. And we pause on verses 31 and 32, and it's this. Words can encourage and strengthen others. Words can encourage and strengthen. That's what happened when they read this letter, when there was conversation. We see that these people were strengthened. We see that they were encouraged. And so I want to give you a homework assignment this week as I conclude this message. I'm, I'm just dead serious. I could use your help. As I, as I think of our church today, I don't think that we're divided or separated or anything like that, but, but a fool would, would have to acknowledge that we've got three different things going on here. We've got an 8.30 service, we've got a 10.15 service, and then we've got an online service. And I don't think any of us would prefer that. I think we would all say, bring us back together again. And it's my desire for us to be able to reach out to those and just to make sure that people don't stray, that they they remain within the family, and better yet, to reach new people for Christ. And we saw in the passage in verses 31 through 32 the value of words spoken, written to them. Could I give you a homework assignment this week? Would you be willing to contact at least two different people? I'd say two different families. Of those two, one that you don't know very well and one that you do know. And you're on the 1015 service this morning. So I would encourage you to contact someone that is not in this service. Most preferably one that has not returned to physically meeting yet with the church. Not as a word of condemnation, but a word of encouragement to say, we miss you. Would you be willing to contact two different people this coming week? Now, it makes sense. Guys, you contact guys. Girls, you contact girls. This is not a, a date or hotline right now where you're going to go out and try to pick someone up. Don't do that. Let, there's a level of appropriateness here for us to do this. And I would say the staff is exempt. I think you do a wonderful job of encouraging the staff. So you just look out to people that are, that are not within the church service today and, and just call them or visit them if they will allow. I would say no texts, no emails, because I don't think that's personal. And just say, we miss you. How are you doing? How can I pray for you? I will tell you one thing that will likely happen. If you're watching this online or you're watching this in person, you, you may say, I, I'll fulfill that homework, but it's very likely that there's going to be a number of people that never get contacted this week. You did your part, but no one contacted you. And you know what? You're going to be discouraged. You're going to be tempted to discouragement. And, and you're going to be tempted to be sulking, like no one cares about me. But I would remind you what the scripture says, that it is more blessed to give than receive. And if by Friday or Saturday no one has reached out to you and you've contacted your two people, maybe you ought to contact another person or two. Because the true joy will be in you serving others. Let's get in a good fight together. Not a good fight against one another, but a fight for unity. 
a fight where we, we, we stick together during these unusual days. It seems to me like we're kind of like in the days of Nehemiah. In Nehemiah chapter 4, there he was and there was the crew and they had rebuilt half the walls. They were at the midway point and it looked like there was so much work to do that they did not know that they were going to be able to finish it. We can look and say the last four months we've been in this quarantine, we've been in this coronavirus stuff. And as we look to the fall, we're not even exactly sure when we're going to get beyond it. We might be in the halfway point, we might not even be close to the halfway point, and discouragement could set in. Well, let us bind together. Let us come together. And you help me, you help Rob, and you help us to do the work of the ministry by reaching out to one another, offering a word of encouragement, and praying together. I believe that's an application of this passage. Would you join me in prayer? And in this prayer, I'm going to allow you just to pause. And I'm going to allow you to say to God, I'll, I'll take him up on that homework this week. And maybe, maybe it would extend beyond this week for you. Maybe it would go on to the next several weeks where you would just say, this is going to be my ministry in the church during this time. I, I'm, I'm just going to reach out to people and encourage them and pray with them. Father, as we conclude this passage here in Acts 15... Lord, we've observed how there was a fight to uphold the true gospel message. We see that that resulted in loving people that, that saw things differently. They saw it's just a countertop. Who cares? But that countertop was something significant to another person. So they'd say, I'll be inconvenienced if that means love and unity within my family. And then we've also observed the power of words. And as we are in these strange days, may this be a day that we don't drift apart, but instead we rally together. And let us us call on that person we haven't seen in quite a while. Let us pray with the person that has, has been isolated during these days. And let's do the work of the ministry together. Let's fight a good fight for unity. So church family, as, you, as you're there right there, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. I'm not forcing you to do this. I'm not manipulating you to do this. But in the quietness, if God is leading you to say, participate in this homework this week, contact two different people, why don't you agree with God about that and you, you pray who those two people might be? I'll give you a few seconds in silence to commit that to God. Father, I can't help but offer hope today. As there is an army of people in this room, there was an army of people in the 830 service, there's an army of people watching online right now, that if we would have said, yes, let's join this fight of of binding together, of staying committed to you, the gospel, and one another, what wonderful things will take place. We cannot do this on our own efforts. They will dry up by Thursday. We need you to help us with this. In Jesus' name, amen.